You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith and Matt Dye, and it is late October, and if you're a deer hunter, this is probably your favorite time of the year. No We're getting doubt. ready to roll into this, and you know, in fact, actually, Matt, I looked today, and I looked at my Facebook page at the memories, and a year ago today, I shot Sticker 8. Oh, what a good memory. So it's hard to think that that was a year ago. It seems like oh. just yesterday that you called me and we were frantically scrambling and trying to get to the stand and mm-hmm. and then and it, and it wasn't it wasn't one of those like perfect October days either. It was like, hey, we've got time. The wind is right for this place, but it's late October, so let's just dive in. We never know what we're gonna see, kind of deal. I mean, it was kind of it was kind of balmy. It was one of those hunts where, yeah, and I think this is where there's a lot of people. This is why it's hard for a guy, I, I think, a, like a Mark Gurry, where people just are like, my gosh, how does he kill so many deer? Or, or uh, even the guy in your town that always kills a good deer that has no cameras, he's he's just a killer. Yeah. And and you wonder how they kill good deer all the time. And you ask them, and they kind of give you a roundabout way. I do this. I look for this. And, but there's a lot of gut instinct playing hunches hunting hunches to where you're like man you you just kind of suspect that a deer's doing that and then and and sticker eight was totally one of those deer no no doubt we didn't have a picture of him anywhere i I think the closest picture was probably 250 300 yards up the hill and it was all at night Mm -hmm. it wasn't like one of those oh i got daylight pictures we didn't have any daylight pictures no but we played the hunch of you know, there's a big bedding area. That's a really good bottleneck. Transition to that food plot where he was getting, where we were getting, know, getting pictures a couple hours after dark. He's like, you know, it could take him a couple hours to get up there if he's bedded there. So mm-hmm. let's just go hunt Dollhart stand. And, and and as as we know, I mean, and it was it wasn't like last minute either. The no. Joker just stood up and and I mean, it took him ten minutes to go forty yards to come to. Uh, that's basically exactly. 40 yards for you to shoot him but he was just he was feeding he was meandering and basically that's a result of the work that we had done in there that was a prime um, example of early successional habitat and making deer feel comfortable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i mean 
we watched that deer go it was 30 minutes i think to go 40 yards basically from it, when it we was, saw it. it it was a while it took him a while it probably and felt like 30 minutes pe- for you because yeah, you had like your it. bow in your hand he would take five steps and stand and mm-hmm. scratch and eat some eat some forbs and then he would take a few more steps and stand and stretch and just yep. took him forever to move but he was so there. comfortable in there yeah. and that was the other thing that we, that we noticed um you know watching him for that long i mean he didn't have a care in the world he wasn't on edge he wasn't sticking his nose in the air trying to sniff 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 it was just hey i'm here i'm doing my thing and i'll i'll eventually get up there that food plot but i ain't worried about it right now Mm-mm. so anyway that was a year ago today hmm but Good before memory. we kick this off, you guys probably have started noticing now some um, posts and some uh, shares about the Sportsman's Nation podcast Woo-hoo! network. And cats out of the bag. Cats out of the bag. That's what's <laughs> going on. Now you know. Now you know why we left our RSS feed and joined up with Dan at Nine Finger Chronicles. And now it is. And, and the, the other podcasts as well. Do it yourself, Sportsman, Transition Wild. They've come on to the. Um, nine finger chronicles rss feed so this is why a whole new network for outdoor podcasts coming together joining forces i think it's a great idea one one stop shop yep hats and, off to you dan and you know the 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 network officially is going to be launching um towards uh, I guess it's the first week, probably November 1, you'll see the website. But if you want to check out more of what's going on there and the plans, just head over to the Facebook page, Sportsman yep. Nation Podcast Network. and uh, Facebook and Instagram. Yep. And so that's what's going on. You guys know it now. Now, what what do we have in store for today, Matt? This is a fun, fun topic to talk about, and it's very current. This is information to be able to digest, listen to, right away and then apply it um and it's just it's because of the time of the year it's what's happening in a whitetails world um and you know again we just talked about the rut being around the corner but it's it's it's, it's leading into the rut we and kind of know what to talk about based on the amount of questions and kind of the comments that are coming across and when we oh, yeah. start getting yeah. a few more where it's like hey that's the third time somebody's asked it's that on this everyone's week. mind it's like yeah we need to cover that and yep. and uh this is one of those where we've got well this one is the question you get as soon as season starts and as soon as you we posted a picture um last week of two bucks locked up and immediately is it a good time to rattle yeah yeah and so it's like all right let's talk about calling deer and there's a I guess we should probably start off by saying, okay, everyone's experiences are most likely different, but there are definitely some some factual things out there that we know about deer, and that um, I guess from success and failures that it tells us. Um, so we need we need to I guess keep an open mind in it. Um, and again, there's exceptions to every single rule uh, when it comes to hunting, when it comes to um, deer biology and, and everything like we you know property dynamics so on and so forth um, but we're gonna we're gonna share a lot of our experiences the way that we approach calling to deer um, and what we do at the certain different let's say stages or phases of the rut um, and why why some things work better at this time of the year versus other times of the year um, and why we may not call and under certain cir- circumstances um, and of course we'll throw in some 
habitat things. How that connects. How it all connects, exactly, and why it connects at which times of the year. So it's it's an extremely dynamic conversation that we're going to have, and one, hopefully, it's going to be enlightening because they can be so successful, um, or it can can honestly be the opposite, too, if, if we're educating deer. Um, so there's a, just like, just like when you're hunting, like early season, um, there's a time to go out, there's a time to capitalize, and there's a time to sit back on your heel and say, I need, I need to wait this one out. It's not the best, not the best um, time to be in the woods. So kind of the same thing with calling. There's a time to call and there's a time not to call. So you just want to dive on in. Get so you know, I've got the hooks messenger grunt call. That's the call that we're using. That's the call that I like. Um, and on this podcast here, listen up, you're going to get a promo code to where you can go buy a messenger for um, 15% off. And if the, the promo code is LL15 at Hooks Custom Calls. So you put that in basically if you, if you want to order one, LL15, there you go. little discount box. And I'll tell you why we're using this call. So I like simple, but I like I like the science behind it. And and this is our grunt call rant here. For years, I listen. I I love to call. I'll just put that out there up front. Turkey season rolls around, and you're, you won't hardly you're see the most me. annoying hen in the woods. I'm the I'll most. I'll just go throw I, it out. I, I just yap. I I love to call. And nonstop. The same thing with deer hunting. I like to call. Now, this is where I think, okay, a lot of times with deer, if I'm in a really good bottleneck and I don't need to call, I know the deer coming by, then I don't. But I like to kind of call, and I definitely have the calls available during the season. So um, this call, actually, and and going into that, thinking back growing up, I would hear a deer grunt, and then I'd have a big old grunt tube or whatever, and I'd and. Then a, a, a nice buck would come by, and I'd hear, and he would be Basically, grunting. It, and I'm like, that different, doesn't different, sound the same. Different tones. You know yeah. it's a grunt. Different tones, different rhythms. Everything yeah. was different. Right. The, the grunt tubes that I was using was more like a brr. And, and when I would hear a buck grunt, and then we started monitoring deer and watching deer with video, with video trail cameras and, and catching bucks grunting, it was always higher pitched. Mm-hmm. It was more of this, Bleh. And I was like, then that's when it hit me, really, when we started monitoring the deer with the videos. It was like, our grunt calls sound nothing like what they're doing. Well, I think think you have to ask yourself, okay, if I do have that grunt call, because, again, there's no doubt a deeper grunt call has worked for a lot of people and for many Mm -hmm. years. But I I think we have to look at, okay, what is it that we're communicating? And who are we communicating it to? What it what what is that message when we use that? And I think majority of times, um, we might be sending a message that might be damaging to basically the deer in the area if we're using that deep of a tone on a grunt call. I think when you hear a buck sound that deep, it's always a very to me. It's that's when we get into the roaring or the growling, where it's mm-hmm. like, or it's like when a buck's really dogging a doe and he's getting kind of just. Really work, agitated, he's like worked just, up, right? And that's when he goes, and he's got that deeper grunt, and just Part carries, draws out, and that's when it's like, okay, if if I'm even got a buck that's 
maybe he's ran with a buck all all summer that's been more aggressive and he's had his hind end kicked. He ain't coming to that, even though he may be a great great buck. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's why I like this this call. It's got the the internal guts are a lot different than if you open it up, break it apart, and you look at the guts versus all the a lot of the other grunt calls um, on the market. It's totally different. What's that phrase where it's like you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar? To mm-hmm. me, that's kind of what I think of when I when I hear this grunt call, see it in action, and apply basically the the science, I guess, behind it. Yeah, that's that's the I guess phrase that I associate it with, for sure. And and so we've been carrying this grunt call for a couple of years now, and I like that it's simple. I mean, if you look oh, at it, you know, when it, when it first came out. Um, why you got that duck call it. around Everybody your neck. <laughs> always asks why I had a duck call. Yeah. And there's no big the tube that you like got the, the esophagus replicator. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's no 3000 on the of end that. of a grunt call. <laughs> there's no rubber components on the outside. It's just it's a piece of hickory wood. Yeah. It looks kind of like a duck call. Toot that thing. But it doesn't sound like it. Well, I'm just trying to build the suspense, man. So <laughs> and and th- so here it is. To me, I mean, I, I looked like, in the room for the receptive. Yeah, where, though, where's you know? he at? Where's he at? <laughs> um, and to me, that I just love the sound of this call and it and sim- simplicity. But now I'll, we'll kind of start diving into grunting, early season, mid season, and late season. So, Matt, lead well, us. let's. We we've got our notes, and I think when we talk about mid, early, and late, let's let's first talk about grunting does. Okay. Because I think that's one. It's like, well, some po- someone just said they just turned up their dial on their on their podcast radio. Did you say grunting does? Yeah, dudes, it works. It yeah. really does. And and I think if we start there, that'll lead us into early season. Okay. How we may use that in an early season situation, and then you know pre rut, rut, late season, so yes. on and so forth. Um, so grunting does, I think in a very we we have to understand again where deer are coming from during the early season. Not when I, I'm not saying like what bedding area they're coming from, but basically what's been occurring um, in a deer's life. And throughout the summer, they've been raising fawns. They've kind of been keeping to themselves just a little bit. Um, and then at that time of the year, they're really starting, especially for us, September fifteenth. Um, that's a huge swing in the deer's mentality, and they really begin to start socializing in larger groups. Um, in in fields where they're let's say bunching up, or if you're in oak flats, um, you can have quite a few deer coming to um, an oak tree that is just raining acorns. So to me, I think that aspect of their social life behavior um, makes it successful for you to be able to grunt does in. They're very curious. They want to, of course, protect their fawns, um, but they also want to know what's going on in their area and when we talk about grunting does on this call we can change basically um the, the o-ring the band, on the soundboard right the o-ring on the soundboard so it produces a higher tone grunt and you're doing that you right can, now you can change it it's got three notches and actually when i'm grunting i i like the bottom like when i'm grunting yeah. this time of year i like the bottom one or even moving it past that to just get a, a little past. deeper right um to me i think it's got a little more pop that way 
But I'll move it all the way to the top, and, and I'll just use a story for you. Last fall, you and I were hunting together. Mm-hmm. We had a group of does cutting through the food plot on the back end. Out of range. 75 yards, yeah. 80 yards. Yeah. I thought, hmm. But it was several It was several doe group fawns. Yes. And I had already shot one. or I shot one. You shot one earlier. And I already shot over the top of another one. Yeah. And uh, so they were cutting the other edge of the food plot, and I was like, oh, let's just try it. So I grabbed the grunt call, and I changed it. To made a, made a, the adjustment. Moved it to top notch, and I hit him with just Ooh, top two or notch. three. Here we go. And just it's like the "Hey y'all, I'm over here." Yeah, kind of deal. And it was the drop of a hat. Lead doe changes course, and I mean she's on a mission to find the doe that just grunted. It was basically just broadcasting, boom, boom. I'm over here, or hey. I'm over here. There's some something is going on. They didn't know why. They honestly they came around the corner because they got behind the the way just the food plot laid out. They got in the back corner and we couldn't see exactly that That's initial reaction. Yes. That was a great point. They couldn't see exactly where we were. So when we grunted, they Boom. had to come investigate rather than just turn their head and look and say, There's no deer in the food plot. Right. They, they got out of sight and then came back, and as soon as we saw them. There were ears, boom, perked up, looking just on a basically just on a march. Like, okay, I heard it. Where you at? What's going on? Something cool is happening. I was skirting the food plot originally, but now I've completely changed course and have to come investigate. And that's a, I mean that that point goes along with almost all of our calling um, tips. Is if you're if a deer's less than a hundred yards, they're pretty close, and they can see where you're at. We don't necessarily call if they're looking at us. Now, if they've got their head and they're looking some other place, I may hit them real quick with a grunt or two to get them to look. But as soon as they look my way, I stop calling because I don't want them to pinpoint exactly where I'm at and be able to look below the tree and say, there's not a deer over there. Right. And already be put on alert. So what we do is we grunted at those deer and they immediately changed the course and ended up coming right into 20 yards and we shot the lead doe. And I think... Even on their approach, though, they weren't looking obviously into trees. They they heard the there's no there's never another grunt. Basically, after they committed, they came all the way in. We allowed them to search. Basically, we let their curiosity bring them in range. Curiosity kills a cat, kills a deer, also. Yeah, and they just worked it. Basically, they came around the corner, they inspected, paused a little bit, continued on because they didn't see. But they knew they heard something. Mm-hmm. Didn't pinpoint it, and I, it brought them right into range and that's kind of why when i grunt i don't usually unless basically there's already a deer somewhat close and i'm but i i usually try to grunt first couple times quick just to kind of but they they hear it and then when they start to turn then i really draw draw that so when i did that grunt i was like brett 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 and that's kind of the the three grunts i do a lot because it's the first two are kind of is that what I hear? And then that third one's like, yep, definitely heard it. And they turn, and then they start it's looking. It's confidence. It, boom, gets their attention, perk the ears up, basically turn the ears in the right direction where that sound came from. And then that last one is the committed, like, yep, that, that is exactly what I heard. Time to, time to go and inspect. And then I think, I think it's, imp- it's also important. We'll, we'll get into this more. But even if a deer stops and starts to question things, let them process it. 
don't get right back on that grunt call. Unless mm-hmm. you see them about face and turn and go the other direction, let them take a few steps. Even if that happens too, then hit them again. But if they're standing there, you don't know what their next move is. It could be, okay, I'm committing all the way. Because there was one point when those does, they stopped and paused on the way in. But we could have hit them with a grunt call again and then really, give, really gave, gave them the insight of where that call came from. They could have looked up or looked in our direction, couldn't have gotten full draw, um, even though they're in range. So let them fully commit to whatever they're doing before you make the decision of what's your next move. So I think that really wraps up a, a lot of the communication with it when it comes to does. I, I don't, basically, if people are out there and they're like, well, them does are out there 70, 80 yards, they never coming into range. Um, don't <laughs> underestimate a grunt call mm-hmm. with the right tone and frequency and when you're and how you're doing it, how you're approaching it. Um, and again, we're not talking about with their head. If their head is down, um, grunt at them then. Yeah. Don't grunt when they're, it's up and they're looking your way. When they're looking your way, don't call at all. Right. Like, but if they're head down, feeding, or he- looking away, looking back towards the other end of the field, great time to mm-hmm. hit them real quick. And as soon as they turn, then stop. Yep. No matter what you're doing. If you just grunt at one time and she wheels around, stop grunting. Because yep. as soon as you do that, and, and although we're talking does, this is for bucks throughout the year. Um, any deer, don't be calling. I don't like to call to them if they're looking our way. Yep. Just, and, but don't underestimate the effectiveness of getting some does into range. I and mean, when I say that, I don't mean uh, if a buck or something's 300 yards off and you're having trouble, they're ha- going to have trouble hearing a grunt call or whatever, I may hit them then just because it's such a it's distance. It's such a far distance. But if it's less than 150 yards, I don't call to them when they're looking. No. no. So anyway, that pretty well covers early season um, grunting at does. Mm-hmm. Um, but also when you're talking early season grunting, you can grunt at bucks, um, especially if you're, you know, I, I don't mind to grunt at bucks if, if they're in bachelor groups all summer and they're still kind of in bachelor group and I want them to come investigate. Same thing. I don't get real aggressive. Couple, couple grunts just to pique their interest, maybe bring them into range. Right. But, and honestly, that kind of leads that, that same thought process and how it leads to really about this time of the year. When, when that grunt call really becomes an important tool, um, we always have it with us just for those occasions that, okay, you know, you might have one out of range or you might grunt some does in, but really now is when the game is changing and it starts to become, when do I call? Because yeah. this is the time to start calling and how do I approach that? And is my setup, does it allow me to, be, to call effectively? And, you know, the question is always blind calling, so on and so forth. Can you do it? <laughs> always you know. the question. So Should I blind call? Yeah. Let's let's dive into that. And we're going to start here, basically the, the pre-rut and what's going on, um, how we're approaching that, and, and go from there. So immediately when I think of grunting this time of year, it's you think about what what is a buck grunting about or when you hear that sound, what's going on? And a lot of times it's associated with – a receptive doe. Mm-hmm. It's you hear some grunting, and it's usually a buck who's right on the trail or following up a trail of a doe, and and a receptive doe at that. And so it's trying to recreate that when we're grunting. Is hey, there's a receptive doe in the area, and this buck's wound up, and he's at hot after the trail. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I start calling, and this is when I really the only time of the year when I do some blind calling. Um, 
during early season, and, and that's not because I don't believe in it. It's because that I honestly believe more in our strategy and the fact of we're in the right spot. I don't need to try and grunt to change things. It's the probability aspect of what the outcome's going to be if you're, if you're grunting blind calling at that time. Yeah, and, and so this time of year, my, my blind calling sequence is, is a little more aggressive, but I always start with the same simple... Matt, how, ma- how many times have we hunted together now in the last three years? 460. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's I have a no lot. Idea. A bunch. And it's never, like, the other night I grunted, blind grunted. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, three simple grunts, maybe. Maybe four. I don't remember. Um, and it's very soft. And that's usually how I always kick it off. Um, and especially in, a, in our area, in a timber, heavy timber area, yeah. A deer can seriously be 60 yards, 40 yards. Sometimes you have no idea. No so clue. Never, it's just like calling turkeys. Yeah. Always start off slow or soft and work your way into it. And the same thing with this. You know, if they're there, I don't want to blow their eardrums off. Mm-mm. I just want to let them know, hey, other deer in the area, this is what's happening. It's like Kansas. You know, Kansas is wide open. Mm-hmm. But there's all sorts of grass, and I just think of that uh, hourglass set. Yeah, is as soon as we grunted last year, or even bang the horns together, is like, boom! They just come out of nowhere, and you're like, whoa! Where did he come from? He come from? And right. so that's why we always start off very soft, very simple. Right. And that's it. Yep. Get and some attention. Draw it to your area. Don't show people. Well, show people. Show the deer exactly where you're at. Get your attention out there. And, and let let them work. And one quick note on that. When I grunt, I, and of course this time I'm pointing straight at the microphone, but this is how I usually do it. And I don't hit the mic. And <laughs> I saw that. But I usually, I'll turn, and that's the great thing about the messenger, is it's more about your hand motion to kind of send where the, you can send the air out, send the sound out a certain way. So I point it east, west, north, south. I just kind of send it various directions. So if a buck's grunting, it sounds like it's it's facing you. It's turned away, so it's it's kind of it's, it's replicating nature again. When when a when a buck is grunting, and his his nose is down the ground, he's covering distance. He's you know it's not like he's staying generally in one place. Just it's it's multiple you know yards in between grunts and every other step, and he's covering some ground. So you got to replicate some of that, um, and that just helps to provide more confidence in in what's going on in your area anytime you can add realism it's just going to improve your success bingo yep so when it comes to when it comes to setups for early season um and i say early season i mean pre-rut this time of year this time of year a lot of a lot of mornings are spent in a in a transition area and this is when we honestly we we haven't hunted a morning together yet but this is when we start to and mm-hmm. really get serious about it because at this time we know, okay, this doe group's hitting this food plot. This is preferred bedding. We can get here. This is the travel corridor, the transition area. And bucks are really becoming a lot more interested in does. So right now, before they get extremely pressured by the bucks and pestered by them, we need to capitalize on their movements to capitalize on a buck's movement because we know they're going to be correlated. And if we get in a transition area in a morning situation, it's likely that they're going to pass through there. However, in the evening, we might be over a, a food source or a transition area. It just kind of really depends. But we 
know that those are going to come there from trail camera information, so on and so forth. And as a result, bucks are too. So at this point in the game, it's really a, okay, he's out of range. He's coming. I see him, but he hasn't committed. I'm running low on light. I want to hit it. Mm-hmm. Or it's or it's really, really soft calling, you know, let's say 30 minutes before dark because deer are in the area. I know they are. Let's try and make a little a little something happen. But it's not like I get in the tree and really just start, boom, hitting that grunt call and carrying on. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I made as a growing up was like, well, I'm in the stand. Blip, blip, I can blip, see. Blip, Let's start calling. Yeah. And, and not even uh, – that, that's ba- just huge mistakes. Basically, you're there for a reason, and the reason you're there is because the does are there. So let that – process occur naturally let that happen and work to your advantage again because we know that a buck is interested in those does at this time of the year so if you get does in and a buck hasn't committed or or followed like you thought it would that's when it's like okay time to time to see what i can do time to let this grunt call do its magic and um send out a few few grunt calls Mm -hmm. that that's that's the approach that we take during during this time of year. Now, in the morning situations, it's kind of the same thing. If if you're in that transition area and you've got a doe group that works through, you're doing your thing, you're just kind of waiting, okay, there's a good chance that a buck's going to come, going to come, but doesn't. Then it's like, okay, what can I do to, to better my odds? Yeah. I'm going to call. Let, let the natural things happen first, and if that doesn't work, then go on. And one other note, if you're trying to grunt at those does, like if those does are close this time of year and you grunt, there's a good chance they're not coming in because they're sick of getting pestered. Yeah. And so they're trying to avoid bucks right now. So if you start grunting at them with a grunt, like a buck grunt, they're probably going to avoid you. Right. And so, but that's going to, we're just trying to make it sound like there's a receptive doe, there's another buck in the area and they want to come investigate. Yep. And beat him to the punch. It's kind of like a cool, you want to be that cool cucumber at this time of the year. You want to know that, okay, I, c- I can be successful by grunting, but that to me is not the first, like, just that's my go-to thing when I get in the stand. No. no. I got to feel everything out. Yeah. I want to let things happen. And if I start seeing, I just had a buddy, I, I mentioned him earlier in the podcast, um, a couple back, uh, hunting public ground. Yeah. And, yeah. and hunting saddles. And he just killed a really nice buck this past week. And it was all, he grunted it in with the same mm-hmm. grunt call that I'm using. And it was all because he started seeing, he started seeing a buck cruising, some grunting. So he grabbed his grunter and he started doing it too. Yeah. And that called that, gr- that buck right into range and he shot him and had a nice drop. And mm-hmm. um, it was all because of, he checked the temperature of the woods that morning. Yep. He saw there's some chasing grunting going on, knew that bucks were thinking about it. So it's a good chance to do a little grunt. And that's the thing. A lot, a lot of the does, even though they might be beginning to smell right, become receptive, the large majority of them are not. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if bucks are interested and you send out that call that's saying, hey, there is a receptive doe, a buck ac- actively pursuing a doe, likely you're going to get a response from the other bucks in the area because they're saying, hey, there's one over there. I'm, I'm going. You know, basically, the, the chances of, of there being another receptive doe in the area at this time of the year, it's kind of slim. Mm-hmm. So it can be really effective. But, again, you got to check the temperature of, of the area, what's happening, how are the deer reacting. Yep. So 
moving on to midseason? Kind of, yeah. In the next, and this is, this could be even right now. Like my buddy checked the temperature, saw some cruising, chasing, grunting going on, so he got a little more aggressive. But now we look a week ahead. This mm-hmm. is first of November. Stuff's really starting to heat up. It's Halloween. Halloween has like notorious for me. That's when people really start rattling more. That's when you used to read articles where Halloween's when you start banging the antlers together even harder. And, and, and that's you still turn up the volume. If that's you still pre-rut, but the pre-rut is basically kicked into a higher gear. It's yeah. like now it's not the occasional buck that comes and nudges does. It's like every doe group passes, you're going to have someone behind that doe group. And I think for me, you, th- you think about it, and you see even this time of year, young bucks come out of food plots, they start going and nudging does and checking does and pushing does. But you don't see the big bucks doing that because they know they're not ready yet. They're mm-hmm. not. The young bucks start doing it, and then two- and three-year-olds start doing it, and then Halloween you start seeing those big bucks cruising more and starting to look for those first does that become receptive. Yeah. And and Why I, do you think that is, though? To me, that's because they've checked the temperature. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and they have year, I think it's because they have, exper- they have the experience mm-hmm. to know that I'm wasting energy pushing does in mid-November. Mid-October. M- yeah, mid-October. <laughs> Mid-October. That They know that, okay, I'm going to save my energy for when the first does start becoming receptive. There's mm-hmm. no sense in pushing them when it's when they're not ready yet. That's why I feel like if you are too aggressive early on, you're turning off does from coming to your area. They're like, yeah. oh, why in the world is there a buck just ripping and roaring over there on the other side of the hill? I'm not going over there. I'm not doing that. That's not really what's happening. You know, if you're reading the temperature wrong, you're not going to get a going to get a good response. Yeah, a positive response anyhow. Yes. Or if you do, it's it could be from a really immature buck because he just doesn't know better. Yep. He's anticipating um, there really being a legit doe over there or a buck running. He just you know it's it, it's it's not how things work. No. So back into that that first november time frame we've turned up the volume and i've and i've so i did my first entry level if you will grunts and i've (coughs) and a few minutes have gone by 15 minutes 30 minutes and now i'm like i'm gonna get a little more aggressive They immediately get longer, drawn out, a little less, if you will, time pause in between them, and a little more frequent. Mm-hmm. And that little sequence, sequence right there really gets the attention and says, okay, there's something There's something going on over there. And if and if a deer, let's say he he's bedded down 100 yards, okay, he's heard grunting you know, for a couple of weeks now, not that cool, not that interested. He heard you but didn't respond. You kick that up another 15, 20 minutes later, and it's ramped up in intensity. He's like, okay, I got it. There's seriously a hot doe over there. Something is is happening. There's a reason a buck is really worked up over there. Right, exactly. The first three grunts or four grunts that I let out is more. You can hear that from a buck who's just walking through the woods. Brr, brr. And he's he's excited because he knows what's coming, but not necessarily that he's hot, off, hot on the trail of a doe. Mm-hmm. Now, those grunts tell me, when I hear that in the woods, I'm like, ooh, somebody's, some buck's got a doe over there. And that, to me, is like, 
I'm trying to replicate that. I want all the bucks that are in hearing distance to say, "Woo, there's a buck over there, and he's hot after the trail. I mm-hmm. want to go try and steal her away from him. Exactly. And how many times do we see a hot doe, especially early on, early November, that is, that's obviously receptive, and that's when you see the train, the parade of bucks just after her. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, out on their own receptive though when the majority of them are, right? So you see five, six bucks after her, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a, it's like a band walking through the woods. You know, you've got the sound of deer crashing, chasing, grunting, bleeding, like. It's just, it's a noisy mess, and it attracts other deer. Yes, for sure. And I think of, you know, how many times do you see a young buck chasing a doe or a, a group of does walks in to, uh, to our setup, and then a little buck shows up, and he starts running around and chasing them, and he starts grunting. And then right about the time, you know, let's say it's the doe starts to kind of hang tight, she's right there, and then the big boy shows up. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to recreate here. Is that, yep. And and. It could be either a young buck grunting or a deeper buck grunting, but there's just a buck over there, and he's getting excited. And if there's a bigger deer in the area or a buck in the area, even if it's a young buck, they're going to come investigate and see what's going on. Yeah. And, and that's and, what we're recreating. And the more, in, the more attraction you have to that area, the more deer you're, you're getting in there, the more chances for realistic grunting, the realistic situations to actually occur. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you, you basically are just putting more and more odds into your favor. Yep. By doing so. And and once I've done this big aggressive and then uh, I've seen a deer come into range or and not into range but into sight and he's still a few maybe he's 100 yards out and it's still thick cover and I'm trying to bring him now into range that's when I can turn around and hit him with a soft calling mm-hmm. the, just to get him to and I'm basically trying to, almost like an elk where you talk about people trying to steer him in and bring him into range. I'm trying to do that. So I'm, I did those grunts facing away from him to make him think that it's, it's on the other side of my setup to where I can hopefully bring him by my stand he does, into the, range. So basically he doesn't get to 30 yards out in front and just sitting there looking, 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 looking. Yeah. I want him to be committed, and I stop him at 15 when he's broadside. Working. Walking past And, and his attention is beyond you. It's not yes. right where you're at. That's the most important part you know he thinks that that sound is coming from 40 50 yards beyond you and that's what i like about the messengers because it doesn't have that big tube on it Mm -hmm. it's it i can control it with my hand and it's so small i can just point it i'm not doing hardly any motion i'm pointing it behind me to the right of me whatever and it's and it's one-handed too you know you don't have to have two hands on it one to run the tube the directional tube you know, it's just yeah. one hand. Boom, one hand. Throw it. Throw I throw my two fingers, to. and it's just like a duck call, basically. Yeah. Yep. I throw two fingers which way I want to send it. So. Right. But all that all that leads up to being able to run directionally, throw your call in the right direction to make a buck commit and then grab your bow that much quicker. You know, one hand extra or, or grab your range finder and start shooting some ranges with your other free hand. Yeah. Um, all that little bit of time really saves you in the woods. Yeah. And I I think that's important to where it's always trying to send it a certain direction rather than just grab the grunt call and... Yeah. I want it to be as realistic as possible and send it in direction and try and be as strategic about my grunting as possible. So it's... Well, it's no no different, honestly. 
than having um, what we call a float caller in the spring woods with you. Basically, someone who who isn't hunting with. I mean, they're hunting with you, but you know, it's a third person back behind you that's basically steering that bird in. They know the topography. They know which way the birds could likely commit. So they're basically leading that bird right past you based on how they're moving behind you. You're doing the same thing, but just with one hand on the call. Basically, there's two dots, and you're trying to connect those dots, and they're you're drawing the line, the connecting line between yeah. those two dots over your over your setup. Right. So right. we're aggressive now. It's early November, and we have, now there's some hardcore big. The mature bucks are on their feet. We're trying to get aggressive, bring them in range. So there's a lot of different calls we can add. We can do aggressive grunting, soft grunting, snort wheezing, and rattling. Yep. And snort wheezing to me is like. Uh, that's one of those almost Hail Marys to me. Mm-hmm. I don't do it a lot because it's such a, I mean, it's a sign of aggression. It's a sign of challenging. It's a, uh, when you see a big buck do it, it's like, woo, he is mad. He, he's he is and, real mad. And it's going to take a big boy to come in and, and challenge him. Yes. And so snort wheezing, <laughs> I, I, I like to, when I was young, I used to do it as basically trying to teach myself and learn is, if I had a young buck come in and he was just looking around, I was like, I wonder what he'd do to snort wheeze. Right. They don't like it. They don't like that very much at <laughs> no. all. They already know what they're up against, and, it, and it's a bigger deer if, if they're aggressively throwing out snort wheezes. Um, that, the buck who throws out snort wheezes at that time of year is already confident in himself and his ability. And yeah. honestly, where he's, where he stands at the totem pole, because he knows other deer are likely going to be in the area. If he throws out that snort wheeze and he's not top dog, and top dog is around, yeah, it's, ain't gonna work out too no, well. Black eyes, yeah. So automatically, if you if you throw out a snort wheeze, one the response you get, um, there, I guess the amount of deer that's gonna be attracted to, it's gonna be a little bit more minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like you said, it, it's a hail mary. It's and and this is where um, I definitely don't do snort wheezes blind calling. It is I know which deer, what caliber of deer, what age that deer is, and he hasn't committed, and he's most likely not by his body language committing all the way in, and it's, okay, grunts don't work. He's kind of going the other way. Maybe I'll grunt to get his attention to stop him, and then and let him, basically you have to let him accept what just happened. Yeah. And and does the hair stand up on his back, on his neck? Do his, his ears lay back and he turns and starts to come in? What's his what's his response to that? Or does he just keep on walking? Or does he hightail it out of there and is gone? If he's gone, then one, you know he's not the most dominant buck in the area. Um, but that response is really, really important to kind of judge yeah. where things lay. And, you know, and even if a mature buck has came in or a, bu- a, sh- a shooter buck comes in and you can tell – and you just did grunting, and you can tell he comes in, and he's a little bit cautious. That's not a deer to snort wheeze to, most no. likely. No, Because no, no. he's already cautious. He's already a little bit timid. And when I see that timidness, I'm like, hmm, he's a little concerned about something in the area. Yep. And if he's a little concerned, then he certainly ain't going to dive in and try to get in a fight. No, no. And so I wouldn't snort wheeze Basi- that deer. Th- that, that social class... That those levels have basically been established, yeah. And he knows where he stands at if he's coming in real timid. And how do you how do you recognize a deer that's committing, but is committing in a timid way? What are you looking for when you see 
when you're trying to read his body language? Mm-hmm. What do you see? Oh, when uh, I'm uh, trying to yeah. read a timid deer, I'm seeing kind of a very few step stop look around. Look, look, He's look. trying to almost. You think about like in a high school, high school, um, school, uh, high. There, you've got a high school and you've got all these cliques or whatever, and you see these two jocks are getting ready to get in a fight. But then there's this guy in the back who's kind of he's around the edge of the circle and he's just kind of peeking in, but he doesn't certainly doesn't want to get in there and be laughing and pointing fingers because he doesn't <laughs> want to get involved in the fight. Doesn't right. want to get called out, and that's what I'm kind of seeing that out of a buck. He's hanging around the skirt, the outskirts of of this area. And he's like looking in, he's stopping, he's really watching. He's not charging into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. When I see a buck, let's say I just did aggressive and I see a buck just storming and he's looking and he looks, he's he's just bowed up, hair's fluffed up. That's the deer I'm calling to. That's the deer I want to see um, because I know he's going to react to the call and he's going to charge in and try and challenge. And that's when I can, that's when I have the chance to take a shot. Yeah, I mean, you got again. It all goes back to reading body language. It, you gotta, you gotta see that deer to know how they're going to react for sure, which then predicts your moves. I don't, basically, when I'm calling to a deer, I can't have the, the understanding that I'm calling the shots. It's, you're only, basically, you're, you're at his mercy. You're playing defense. Exactly. That, you're that's playing what you're off doing. his moves. Yep. Yep, and I think I think that's where, honestly, calling can be a little misunderstood as you know, hey, yeah, you're not on offense, you're just you're just enhancing, you know, your area that much more. But you have to really play it pretty cool because I think if you're too aggressive, um, then that's when you start you get, educating. Yeah, exactly. Deer really start working downwind, downwind. or yes. really try and push it. Um, and by aggressive, yeah. that's where we're saying you're calling a lot, so you're giving deer the opportunity to pinpoint where you're at and then slip downwind and smell you and blow out of there, and you may never right. even know it. Or just peg you in a tree. If you, you know, yeah. if they're, you're, you're looking at them, you're reaching and putting the call up to your hand and, and your mouth, you can't, you can't be doing that. You or can't rattling get is the big one where yeah. you're sitting up there banging around and deer's looking, 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 and all of a sudden right. there's something moving around up in the tree. Oh no, that's a silhouette. That's not good. That's a predator. I'm out of yep. here. I don't. I don't like all that. And um, speaking of rattling, we need to get into that. Yeah, yeah. So rattling is one of those things that, and we're not going to talk on rattling as much as we do grunting because we certainly, in a in a ratio, I don't know, it's <laughs> it's a lot of grunting versus very little rattling, and that's yep. because of a lot of the habitat is it plays a huge part in that. And when you think of rattling, it of course. For me, I think of growing up, I had, man, my brother still makes fun of me back in these days, but I had the big old set of Primo's uh, plastic. Those black antlers? No, it was, they actually oh, looked oh, the, like, yeah, 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 they were the same and color. I, mean, I, I remember. They were yeah. basically like plastic. Yeah, yeah. And I banged those babies together so much. I don't wow. know if I All ever All Southern Missouri called, heard you. Uh, yeah, yeah, Chad said it sounded like somebody squirrel hunting. It was like, pow, 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 pow. And yeah, that's kind of that. yeah. So I don't think I ever called a deer in with those things, and and uh, of course I didn't know what I was doing. It was I, everything I'd read was or heard was rattle loud and rattle for long periods of time. Right. Well, in the Ozarks, you do that and you can't see past sixty yards or whatever. Any deer in the in the area goes okay. They're right there at the edge of that field or wherever that. It's they know. They know the oh, terrain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they live there, so they know every little inch of it. 
And so they pinpoint you, and they're like, well, I'll just slip down here o- over this hauler, and I'll be downwind, and I'll be able to smell it. Oh, no, that's Adam. Gone. Well, yeah. that's the thing. And you never even know you got busted. You no. never even knew that they were even there. No. So on the flip side of that, you know, if you don't give them as much information, if you get their attention, then they're forced to check it out a little bit because they haven't pinpointed you there. So they're, they might take a, a path that's like, I'm not as secretive because I don't know exactly where I need to go, but I want to go just investigate more. Okay, let's say rattling gets their attention, but you close them in with the softer grunts. Yeah. You know, that that basically tag teaming to get him into range um, once you have that, that attention. To me, I carry rattling antlers in or rattling horns. That's what we call yeah, them. I carry them with me in the Ozarks when I do, and I – the only time I hit them together is when I see a deer that I want to call in. And now I don't rattle or grunt at deer that I don't want to call in because I just don't even want to take a chance of them smelling me. Right. And I Busting only do set. it whenever I see a deer that's out of range where it can't hear my grunt call and I need to get his attention. Yes. So I may hit him with it. And then as he starts closing in the distance, curiosity, then I'll use the grunt call to maneuver him into shooting range. You finish him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, Calling the turkeys or, or calling ducks, you know, you get use the softer calls. as they yep. come closer. Yep, and and you change the way you're communicating too, because if you think of it from a deer's aspect or point of view, let's say that buck is way on out there, you've identified it that that's a target deer, you hit him with the rattling antlers, he commits to let's say 120 yards, and you now throw in a couple grunts, like 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 now a buck is chasing. Yeah. To me, it what that replicates is okay. There was a little bit of fight. They busted up now. Buck's on a doe. Buck's on a doe. That means it's a hot doe. I'm in there. I'm committing. And I think this is when when it comes to the sequence of rattling, because that's a big topic. What kind of sequence? And, and I think uh, there's been some research out of Texas where it was the long and loud is mm-hmm. what worked best. But Got the biggest <clears throat> response. Me. When I'm here in the Ozarks, if I do long and loud – there's a big difference in what I can see in Texas versus what I can see here in the Ozark mm-hmm. Mountains. I can't see very far when we're in the timber. So there could be a deer at 80 yards, and I don't see it. So if I continue to bang the antlers together for a long period of time, that just gives him a better opportunity to pinpoint where I'm at and drift downwind. Right. So when I rattle here in the Ozarks, it's usually really quick, maybe a minute, maybe even less than that. Um, start out a little softer, almost like sparring, and then the next sequence, 10, 30 minutes later, is a little bit louder. And that's just how, to me, I want to do it just enough to pique their curiosity and then just set them down and watch and listen. And uh, that's kind of how I've had the best success here in the Ozarks. Now, Kansas, different story. Well, and, and I, I, I think we ought to pause and say that that experience has been the Ozarks. But the, the Ozarks, you know, okay, we got to describe the habitat a little bit because – that's really common. The habitat basically is common across um, a lot of different states. It's thicker timber. You know, even mm-hmm. if you're down in Alabama and you've got uh, a, pine plant- yeah, a pine plantation or something like that, and you can really only see it a, a little ways, um, you know, that would that same scenario would play into into your habitat as well and the way you're calling um, to deer. Yes, for sure. And and that's why it's it's not as long of a sequence. Now, when you think about a deer, too, I mean, trying to add realism, we talked about this before we started recording, yeah. is 
it's the banging the tines together that a lot of times we do. But when you watch two deer fight, it's more pushing. And that's the thing. If you've, if you've never experienced deer fighting in the wild, and then what, what I guess I'm going to say on TV, you often see um, people talking about the way they rattle and everything. To me, there's a, there's a disconnect in what actually happens and then what you're basically doing and trying to replicate. Oftentimes, you see a lot of banging and clashing of the antlers. Um, okay, I can't take it. I got the, I got okay. the antlers. He's got to replicate what we're talking about here. This is what we often do. And everyone at home said, enough, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a constant bashing, bashing of antlers. When in reality, when two bucks fight, there's an initial lock and a lot of twisting and the tines just tinkling together. And then you have branches breaking. You have leaves um, wrestling around and stuff like that. But it's a very, it's not nearly as the clashing. It's a lot of clicking and popping as the tines are locking together. And then sometimes they'll break free. And then, boom, be right back out as they lock again. Um, Richard to be so proud because oh. I can smell them right now. <laughs> we home with our good friend Richard out in Kansas, and he says when you put the antlers together, you're not, you're not doing it right unless you can smell them. And anybody who's ever rattled knows when you start banging the antlers together harder and harder, you start smelling it kind of, I don't know, it smells like bone um, or antler. And it's, it's got a very distinct smell, and once you smell it, you know exactly what it is forever. So that's what I'm talking about. But this is kind of the, the rattling that we use here in the Ozarks. Now, when we go to Kansas, it's a little bit different just because the habitat's different. And when in Kansas, you do as the Kansans do. Yeah. It's like if you're in <laughs> Texas, you do as the Texans do, and that's rattle and do all that. I think the phrase is when in Rome. Yeah. At Kansas, we yeah. actually – we weren't rattling a whole lot when we went out there, but Richard was rattling and having a lot of success. He was doing he was doing very well, and, and Richard has hunted Kansas for, for many years and witnessed and seen um, through observations, trial and error, that he gets a lot better response by being more frequent when, frequent when he rattles and at a louder volume. And when we compare that to the way deer travel um, – Throughout the habitat, you know, we obviously see that there's a lot of differences. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, in in one of the areas in where he was <laughs> rattling, um, there was a 400-acre crop field that be started 80 yards out in front of us. And, of course, it was, it was a morning situation, the, the hunt I'm referring to. And, you know, 400 acres, you're not even going to – the sound is going to carry across that entire field. However – to, to reach those deer that are way out there that normally a grunt would never reach or, or a typical situation um, back in a heavily forested area um, where deer can easily sneak in and around you, we had the advantage of being able to see deer from a long ways away and try and increase our volume to reach them. Um, and, and just in that instance, that, that one particular time, that's how that strategy changed because because of the habitat, because of the lay of the land, the way deer basically would have to, in the most secure way, come into the call. We, we knew what they are going to do. Yeah, they couldn't really go downwind unless they put themselves in the middle of a huge field where they're not comfortable, especially not during daylight. So 
that's just kind of a the, the biggest difference is the habitat and the and, and the way it's fragmented the edges that they're going to prefer to use um you got to use that to your advantage in kansas in that scenario and, and many other stands and that we've now honestly moved around and adjusted um we could be more aggressive and one kind of uh one we basically put right on that river. Oh, river That's cut. A, yeah, river cut is what we named it. And uh, that one is, is going to be really, really fun to hunt because there's a crossing right in front of you, and then down below that it gets a little bit deeper. Um, so really we're not expecting deer to come in behind us because there's a bank or it's deep water. And um, then it's a huge crop field on the other side of that. Right. So the way they would approach the stand is either right in front of the stand or the crossing which is 25 yards away um and you know wind wouldn't be an issue there at all and then you have the thermals of the the river right. pulling down below you for sure so that and just that scenario again we we can call and be a little a little bit more aggressive a little more aggressive and by that we mean a little bit longer sequences a little bit louder add some grunting into it um just overall just more aggressive and i, I would do that more often because again that's another area up and down the river it's a it's a thinner portion of timber right there but up and down the river that's such a travel corridor from deer only not only within that property that that we see on camera and everything but other deer too and if it's during the rut during that that time frame you never know who's passing through passing by and they do it at such a high rate if you rattle 30 minutes you could be getting a whole another group of deer um, coming through that you could be calling to and knowing that they're not going to be coming downwind of you and ed you're not educating them. So not doing it, I mean, basically doing it every 20, 30 minutes, it, it would certainly be, um, we'd be comfortable doing that in yeah. that setup, in that scenario. Yeah, during that time of the year. Right, so, right, And right. that pretty well, I mean, that's all we really talk about rattling because um, there's only a few weeks that we do it out of the year. Um and even carry the antlers with us at that point. But um, grunting late season. Yes. Grunting late season is a lot to me. I'll, I'll grunt at does late season like we did in early season. Um, but it's it, to me it all depends on the buck and his temperature. Mm -hmm. Now, late season we could get to where we're in that second rut, if you will. A lot of doe fawns are becoming receptive. And there's bucks running around like it's the first week of November. Um, and, it's, and it's in December. But then there's other bucks that have just come off a really long rut, if you will, a very um, challenging rut to where they're run down. They're beat. They're going to shed their antlers at any time. They're just you they're can, trying you to survive You can see the physical now. exhaustion in yeah. them. Um, and and that's, that's right. You've really got to read, read their temperature because if they're not feeling it, you can see it in their response. Sometimes they don't even pick their head up. Yeah, they're, just they're like, like, I'm surviving. The noise? last thing I need to do right now yeah. is get in a fight. Exactly. And and sometimes that's even a deer. A lot of times you'll see a deer with one eye, like he's mm -hmm. got his eye gouged out from a fight and or limping their front shoulders rips in their ear blood or scabs you know and if it's a buck that you have a history with and you've seen him lose 50 pounds or it looks like he's lost 50 pounds you know okay he's worn down yeah. he's probably not gonna like this so and, and i guess what that says though too is that personality trait of that deer could be an uh, aggressive deer if it if he is injured but just because you see that he's fought before doesn't mean he's in the mood at that point. 
Yep. Um, you really got to take that in con- into consideration. And possibly grunting may be a lot better option than um, any other type of call that you could use. You know, when I think about late season two, I think it really, I mean, it can be changing at the drop of a hat. It can mm-hmm. be a buck charging in, chasing a dofon, or a buck just coming in to eat out of the food plot because he's just trying to store up more fat for the winter. Right. And so, it, and that's when we say checking the temperature. You could be looking at a buck who's just trying to survive or a buck who's still full-fledged chasing and trying to breed, and, and he's going to be mad if you come in. So... It really, I mean, outside of the grunting, if you see a buck who's who's chasing does and cruising, and that's when you can get a little more aggressive and treat him like you did the first week of November. But if he's just coming into the food plot just to eat or whatever, that's probably not a time that we're – if I see a deer just coming into a food plot to eat, I probably won't grunt at him. Right. Now I'm focused on trying to figure out if he's going to come back the next night and how I can move a stand into that location to take advantage sure, of it. So, sure. However, if he comes to the <laughs> edge and his, his – uh, head is up and he's looking 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 starts to put his nose down and start trotting towards the group of does then that's a little bit different story yeah um I, as I to what your next response is going to be i killed a buck actually at uh, on a conservation area when i was in college and he it was december 17th when i shot him but he came out mm-hmm. and was cruising around and grunting and, and checking does right and that's actually how i killed him he came to my end of the food plot to check mm-hmm. a group of does that came out up by me yeah and yeah. Uh, that would be a buck that you could grunt at and, and just as an, like another hunting strategy aspect of things, if you have a food plot and you're seeing deer, you know, everyone wants to see big bucks on their cameras, right? I mean, if, whether it's a, a time-lapse like photo or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whether it's a uh, time-lapse photo over a food plot or, or what. But that time of the year, you, you really ought to be keen into where the doe groups are, especially the, the, um, the fawns are at. And we did that in a scenario um, a couple of years ago too, and it paid off big. Um, and, and it was just a matter of taking notice of, okay, I know what's going to be happening this time of year. Um, uh, whether the likelihood of a buck being, um, basically receptive to calling and, and, and knowing where they're going to be at because of the, the other, the fawn groups basically. Um, but there's so many different, there's so many different strategies and scenarios and stuff that we could go through. Um, but I hope, now, basically breaking it down like into the different seasons helps yeah. and that's kind of our early mid and late season approach but let's tie that into habitat mm-hmm. we often talk i mean all our whole podcast is based around hunting and habitat and we just covered some hunting strategy now let's talk about habitat and how that can come into play and the first thing i think about is premier or, or, or an ideal habitat uh, a lot of times is early successional depending on the area but if I'm in the woods, I still want early secessional. I want somewhat open canopy and have some good cover there. Mm-hmm. And that's, as we talked about with sticker eight, that's what builds comfort. That's what builds security for a deer. So that's more. That's going to be a better chance of getting them on, on their feet during daylight. But that's also a benefit when it comes to calling because then that allows you to have cover to where you have they have to search for the deer. Mm-hmm. So if I'm calling... And let's say 75 yards, he can't see into my tree stand because I have so much good cover around me. Um, well, and, and then cover between him and where that deer's at. Yeah. Like, he, he, you're not getting spied. He can't see but 15, 20 yards in front of him. So he has got to, he has got to make a conscious effort if he really wants to inspect, if, he's, if, if he is in the right mood to go. And, and basically, he was go, he's going to be in range. Yep. 
He has to search for it. Yes. You want to create a scenario. habitat, a scenario where they have to search for it. That allows you to get away with calling more. If if they're, if they're starting to loop a different way and you can call, it still allows you to make that sound where they're continuing to look rather than mm-hmm. look 100 yards under looking through your setup going, there's no deer over there. Right. I don't know what I'm hearing. There's something wrong with that. And not only from a calling standpoint, but just a hunting strategy at that time of the year. Again, we, we talked about it earlier. Does are really tired of getting pestered and pushed and pushed and pushed. So they, in return, seek thicker cover to be able to hide from bucks. You don't see that many does typically um, going to food plots early in the afternoon during, you know, middle of November. Um, that that changes. They're, they're off their patterns um, and they're in thicker cover. So if you're calling and you're hunting in and around that thicker cover, they just go hand in hand. Yeah, it, it's this. One girl walks on a campus of of of, of a boy only school. Yep. It's oh, everywhere yeah. you go, and, go, and hey. she's gonna just get pestered to death. Same yeah. thing's true with does, and she's not coming back. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, <laughs> Mom, Dad, come get me, yeah. get me out of here. Right. And Mister uh, Mister, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's that's the same scenario with doe. We want to try to find um, those areas where does are feeling more comfortable. Now let's look at you haven't done any habitat work mm-hmm. or you can't do any habitat work and you have closed canopy, open understory timber. To me, we want to try and find our pl- find a place that's close to some sort of change in that. Maybe it's a clear cut if you're down south and there's tons of clear cuts down there in pine country or, or it's where, let's just say, edge of an overgrown field. You want to find something that's cover to, that, that that's going to allow you to be better have higher success when calling sure and and the other thing is mm-hmm. if you if you can't do the habitat work and you're looking um for the the right stand locations and we actually had a visitor come by earlier um our good buddy zach and we were looking at a topo map of a property that he has to hunt and we were looking at it and talking about I was like, man look at that bluff that is just I mean, nothing, period, would be coming back behind you if you were to set up on the edge of that bluff. Buzzards. Yeah, buzzards, eye level. Um, But no deer would be able to circle around you because it's a pretty much sheer drop to um, the river. But in front of him was a beautiful saddle. And if he had come and hunted it, um, he could rattle pretty much all day long and not have any deer with the right wind come and circle behind him because of that bluff so you got you got to look for those features in terrain um as well or um I'm trying to think of another scenario that isn't necessarily terrain it doesn't necessarily have to be just a bluff though it could oh, be yeah, a high sure. ridge yeah and, and like we have all those i think of the big mountaintop on the prairie hollow property mm-hmm. um if we had a strong north wind and we were hunting on the very south edge of that thing it's blowing off and it's not really even a bluff it's just yeah. the edge of a of a of a big ridge mm-hmm. a big elevation change or like, the or it's a big lake. Yeah, exactly. Or a big, just even a big farm pond. Mm-hmm. Anything like that. Yep. So basically, what it would be is a dead zone back behind you, or a pasture full of cows. Yep. A feedlot or something. Who yeah. knows? But um, the the scenarios are, are are endless. But having something like that back behind you that, um, you know, deer aren't going to circle downwind is paramount for calling, having deer coming within range in front of you and you're not educating them to, to me i don't want to spend my time 
calling to two and three year olds, knowing that they're a non-target typically at that time and educating them. So when I, when I do want to call to them at four and five, that is pretty much ineffective. Yeah. Like I want to save the time. So that's, that's again, why blind calling, we don't do it that much because I don't know if he's going to hear. And sometimes I don't even know if they're going to spook from it because yeah. of the way the terrain lays and the way everything just works out. I'd rather know who I'm calling to, what age, and basically have that visual. Yes. How, how does he respond? Exactly. True words have never been spoken. Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And that's where, like, when I was when I was growing up and I was rattling all the time, I was rattling these little bucks. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's so cool. And then I got to thinking, and this is honestly why I got away from rattling for several years because it was like I never rattle up anything big. Yeah. And then I can think of all those times where I would call and I would hear, like, a deer run off, never blow, but downwind. And I'm like, was that a, a deer? Like, right. And sometimes they'll do the craziest things just to get downwind of you. Mm-hmm. And makes sense. I mean, they're trying to survive. So finding the ideal setup is a huge part of that. And then enhancing the habitat to improve it for future years to where you can get away with more calling is another yeah. huge benefit. Uh, and, and that's the thing. Calling absolutely 100% has its place. We have used this messenger for, for multiple years and have awesome success with it. But it's a time and place thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's an it's I'm not just because just because it's October 23rd today. And let's say if we were hunting, just because it's late October doesn't mean I'm I'm pulling it out and you know using that grunt call. It's got to be the right setup. Yep, for sure. And if you're wondering about that messenger grunt call, that's at hookscalls.com. Yeah, yeah, Promo yeah. code LL15, and uh, you can check it out limited supply right now um and that promo code runs to the end of november so anytime from now you go out and you use your other grunt call on it and you think you know that didn't sound very good and you listen to the podcast you're like boy that sounded pretty good i'm gonna from now till the end of november you can go get it and think think about the the situation though too of i guess the the social aspect of deer and and when deciding to use the call um and the the science behind it like Go ahead and run that thing for a second. Here's my favorite. If you have the ability, if you've got for videos. The guys that like those big old deep ones, here's the deep sound. If you notice when I grunt, you can hear that clicking in it. And that's what misses from a lot of calls on the mm-hmm. market is it's more of a uh, there's no clicking. But if you listen to a buck grunt, there's a click sound to it that, uh, uh, and that's what this call has. And if if you have the ability, if you've got trail cameras that. Um, record grunting and so on and so forth you've got that go back and listen to those and really take into consideration what that sound is or if you're in the stand you've had the pleasure of listening to bucks grunting here recently really understand what that sounds like because again if you can replicate those sounds you're a lot better off it's like turkey hunting when i first started um to turkey hunt i mean it took a little bit of time to develop the skills to be able to effectively call it's still taking time what yeah right <laughs> with a diaphragm 
And as soon as I got proficient with it and started really making the right sounds at the right time, that's when the success just, boom, increased. So, Same with grunting, even though Uh, you just think that you can pick up a grunt call. And to me, it's all – I always want to sound the most realistic as possible. 100%. And and with knowing how to call and when to call, but then having a grunt call that sounds sounds like a deer. Realistic, yeah. Then I'm just – I am improving. Yeah, I'm confident in everything. I know that that, there's not a chink in my armor when it comes to the calling. No. No, you're set up. You're ready to rock and roll. Woo! And it is – oh, my gosh. It's late October. Why are we still talking? It is late uh, October, and we're talking in the mics. Let's just close. Let's wrap this up and get out of here. Big shout-out to RTP Outdoors, makers of the Genesis No-Till Drill, the Goliath Crimper, and the Groundbreaker. Without their support, the Land and Legacy podcast wouldn't be possible. For all you food plotters out there, be sure to check out rtpoutdoors.com or check them out on Facebook. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us and and kind of understanding our calling scenarios and our calling strategies now. Don't forget, go hookscalls.com and look at the messenger and order one promo code. There'll be a link in the podcast um, podcast uh, blog as well as on Facebook, too, when we post the podcast. Um, So be sure to click on it. Um, give Give her a test run. It's that time of year. Yeah. You better jump on it fast. I think they, uh, there's over 100 right now, but uh, supplies are there till they last, and then another they'll have another thing of them coming in November. So jump all over it right now while you still can buy one, get it in the mail, go call in a big buck with it. And send us a picture. Sounds good. All right, guys. All right, guys. Talk to you next time. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm